The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their health care practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest, Dr. Gerard Mullen, is a leading gastroenterologist, educator, and nutritionist. He's a professor of medicine at John Hopkins University, where he also directs integrative GI nutrition services. He is a gut microbiome authority, and he's here today on Health Watch to talk about his new book, The Gut Balance Revolution. Welcome to Health Watch, Dr. Gerard Mullen. My pleasure to be here. Well, uh, Dr. Mullen, you start out your book with a vignette about yourself as a teenager in 1977 with mononucleosis going to the doctor. Tell us, tell us why you start out with that vignette and, and, and what happens to you then. Well, I, I think it's really good to share with uh, readers, the audience, that, you know, uh, things happen to doctors. We're all, you know, vulnerable uh, to uh, you know, influences of uh, the environment, society, illness, so on and so forth. So as a teenager in high school, I found myself quite ill from mononucleosis. I had lost at that point maybe 10 or 11 pounds because I was unable to really eat because my, you know, sore throat that you get with mononucleosis and you feel fatigued and so on and so forth. So I had seen my, my doctor with, uh, with my mom. And at that point, I think the doctor was new to me because uh, I was just transitioning from a pediatrician. You know, I was about 17 at the time. And, you know, I mean, that, I guess at that point I was in shock because the pediatrician I had was really nice and this person was a little bit on a, you know, on a throne and, and basically made some very judgmental comments to my mom about my being overweight such that losing 10 pounds would make a healthy tent. I think I weighed 293 that day. I never forgot that figure. Um, and so when I went back to see him, you know, a month or two later at that point I was driving, you know, I had my driver's license and went to see him on my own. My mother certainly didn't want to go back and see him after that encounter. I told him I was thinking about being a doctor and, and he was quite negative and made a sarcastic comment, not looking like this, you know, because I was big. So it was kind of like, yeah, it was a turning point. And I thought that was important to show, you know, the, the readers that, A, I was there myself. B, I overcame it. I, I mean, right now about 170, so I, I, I found a way to do it. And the way I did it was by uh, coincidentally just, you know, I went on, uh, I was in New Jer- North Jersey. I went to, you know, one of the local supermarkets, and there was like a little 25-cent throwaway about fiber and you know, yogurts and things like that. So I started getting into yogurt and high-fiber foods, and the rest is history. But, you know, that I was kind of formulating my gut microbiome-changing program back then in 1977 before this revolution really started. But at the time, not necessarily knowing that it had to do with gut bacteria. No, I mean, it's it just the fiber thing made sense to me. They didn't even really know what it was doing. They just thought it was kind of like, you know... They thought it was binding fat. <laughs> you know, I mean, what did they know back in 1977? So it just made a lot of sense that it was healthy for you. And you look back on it now, it's kind of like, wow. I mean, that was clearly ahead of its time, and it was quite effective. So, Dr. Mullen, you, at the, near the beginning of the gut balance revolution, you assert that the role that gut bacteria plays in weight maintenance is is quite large and also multifactorial. Can you talk a little bit about some of the roles that gut bacteria plays with regards to weight and metabolism? These are all very interesting questions because what we know now is that uh, weight metabolism 
relates to inflammatory signals that the gut bacteria really regulate, and that when we have inflammation, like, you know, half of America has a chronic degenerative inflammatory disease, so gut bacteria control all these type of uh, diseases, but in terms of metabolism, um, the gut bacteria regulates appetite, regulates these hormones that send signals throughout our body for metabolism. Um, you know, fat, uh, you know, the way fat accumulates, the way the, the way the fat is liberated, a number of ways by which, uh, and the set point, the body's set point is that when the body um, senses the fact that it's starving or being overfed, it regulates metabolism. And uh, the school of thought is, is that uh, if you read Jonathan Baylor's work, is that the gut bacteria play a role in regulating the body's set point. And the set point tells you, you know, will tell you how hungry you get. It really senses whether you're really in a starvation mode or, or in overfed mode and adjusts your metabolism relatable to that. So the gut bacteria controls a lot of these aspects of metabolism. And, and near the beginning of your book, you also, other than talking about your own scenario, you talk about a specific patient of yours named Rose. Can you, can you share the story of Rose and, and in relationship to the work that you're doing? Well, you know, I've, what I, what's happened, and, and I'm glad you bring up uh, hers and, you know, so many of the people in the book, is that I've had a number of people over time who were seeing me for digestive disorders, particular uh, bloating, irritable bowel syndrome, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And what I found is that when I, my first book called The Inside Track, when I was putting them on a, a program to kind of cut down on the bacterial overgrowth, and the gut imbalances that people like Rose, who are having just a hard time shedding excess weight, just for the first time in their lives, were able to shed weight in a very sustainable manner. Um, so that kind of like that book, which came out in 2011, uh, really formed the you know the foundation for this book because they, these people were balancing their gut microbiome, and they were for the first time able to lose stubborn weight. So, so in another, in other words, I, I would imagine that the that you're not a proponent that of the calorie in, calorie out uh, model as being a sufficient model for uh, developing a weight loss program that's sustainable. That's sustainable. Now, in fact, as you know, ninety ninety five percent of the people who adhere to those programs fail uh, for the reason that I outlined with the set point is that your body during uh, caloric deprivation, which is a combination of diet and, and ec extra exercising, let's say, senses that it's starving, so it slows down its metabolism to counteract your efforts to lose weight. So, so the body self-sabotages. Right. So um, before we talk about your plan uh, and some of the things that you've put uh, patients through uh, who have digestive disorders and maybe have weight concerns, um, let's talk about some of the various potential causes of uh, intestinal bacterial imbalance. What, what are some of the reasons why we're seeing more and more bacterial imbalance? See, that's, that's a very good question, which could take like an hour at least to answer. Sure. I'm happy to hold a show on that. But in my mind, the two issues are the food we eat, if we call it food. So I call it ingestibles. So that's really the processed foods that, unfortunately, that we subsidize, you know, the corn and the soy and the, the wheat and, and, and the red meat and all these things that are subsidized. 
um, are very harmful, pro-inflammatory, and help us gain weight quickly, highly, highly glycemic, poor nutritional value, is that even though there is arguments about whether our caloric intake has changed in the last 20 years, one study called an NHANES, which is done on tens of thousands of people, suggests the calories have not changed, but it's the quality of the foods we're eating has clearly shifted towards refined grains and sugars and so on and so forth. So, you know, I mean, the, the bottom line is that we have um, adversely affected our microbiome by the fast foods and, you know, and, and even the red meats themselves have antibiotics in them which kill our flora. In fact, that's one of the main reasons, I think, uh, is that we've kind of overdone it with antibiotics in our children. You know, we treat every, everybody gets treated for H. pylori, even though half the world has H. pylori, and it really doesn't hurt the vast majority of people. We're just, as you know, over overindulging in antibiotics to the point we have superbugs, and there is now executive actions uh, recommending restriction on antibiotic use in livestock. Eighty percent of antibiotics we use are in livestock, and there's studies showing that the amount of antibiotics in the meat itself that we consume is enough to make us fat. So I think it's the it's the antibiotics, and I think it's the quote unquote foods we're eating. That one two combination has really overwhelmed our, uh, our our abilities to really maintain a healthy gut microbiome, and obviously the diseases that relate to it, the allergic diseases, autoimmune diseases, so on and so forth, that we're seeing particularly you know in children um, that are are raised uh, you know without breastfeeding and their C-section and have too many antibiotics. The data is clear that their ability to be healthy is compromised. In case you just tuned in, you're listening to Health Watch, and we're talking today to gastroenterologist Dr. Gerard Mullen about his book, The Gut Balance Revolution. So obviously, weight issues are multifactorial. There's a genetic component. There's envi- there are environmental and hormonal issues and inflammatory issues. But you've chosen to foreground the... Uh, gut bacteria scenario as the uh, as the way into addressing some of these issues. Do you feel like by starting there that some of these other issues take care of themselves, or is this just the newest um, uh, frontier with regards to uh, establishing a healthy weight? I think that this really, this gut microbiome is a key area of health, and that weight regulation is one aspect of it. And what you're going to see over time um, is, one, a common-sense approach to kind of like cut off um, the bad actors that mess up our biome and replace it with food as medicine. And that's what I propose in Gut Balance Revolution. As you can imagine, people who are very magic bullet-oriented will want to just throw probiotics at the gut and expect it to miraculously you know, get better, and even some people are proponents of fecal transplants, which is like the nuclear option to try to, you know, abruptly change your microbiome, and yet there's hidden dangers in that, in that people are developing autoimmune disease, and in one case even obesity. Someone who was thin received a fecal transplant from an overweight recipient, I mean, over overweight donor, and became obese. So, you know, there, there's a lot of people who like to explore new technologies, but you know, it may be opening up Pandora's box as well. 
Well, I do like that your program focuses primarily on on dietary modifi- and lifestyle modification rather than s- supplements as the fix. But could, before we go on to your program, since you raised the issue of, of probiotics, I, yeah. I thought one thing that was really interesting, and it didn't seem like you were against probiotics, but that um, that not all probiotics are going to promote uh, weight loss, that some strains are going to have certain effects on the weight and that are quite different than other strains. Can you just unpack that briefly uh, for people who think of probiotics as one thing? You know, we have these trillions of bacteria, and according to this new technology, there's about 1,000 to 1,500 different types of bacteria in our gut. And, you know, as much as lactobacilli and bifidobacter, these are regarded as a friendly bacteria, but believe it or not, there is a phyla called Firmicutes and another one called Bacteroidetes. And these two phyla, which are really at the top of the classification taxonomy, these two really speak for 90% of the gut bacteria. Now, within the Firmicutes, um, experimental animals studies have shown that the Firmicutes tend to be more fat-forming at least in genetically susceptible animals. So F firmicutes, F fat forming was way, and you know, it was the way scientists looked at it. And in humans, there is some translational effect. In other words, we see that in humans, it's not 100% universal, but that's also true. Now there's lactobacilli strains that are also within firmicutes. And there are studies on certain lactobacilli, like ruteri, which really help with weight loss and other lactobacilli, which are associated with weight gain. So just by think of going out there and throwing all kinds of lactobacilli at your gut, that you're going to lose weight is not the way to do it because there are data pro and con within that species. Well, let's let's talk about your plan. You have a, a three-phase diet, and the first phase you call the reboot, which is a, a month-long uh, diet. Tell us the rationale behind this month-long program that begins the uh, the attempt to uh, rechange the gut 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 ecology. You know, it's funny. It's kind of like uh, yesterday I was uh, doing some shopping. This is just like kind of a light antidote. And here I am doing shopping, and there is um, I guess there's a show on about um, on Fox Health in the afternoon, and uh, you know what they call it uh, Fox on Call. And I'm hearing Mark Siegel and another doctor on talking about weight loss because there was a new study in, uh, in the journal Cell which talked about metabolism and starvation, right? So they were talking about their segment from the week before, June 28th, about the gut microbiota. And they used the terms that are, I mean, they really referred to the book, but they pretty much kind of, you, you think they would have, they referred to the program. They talked about reboot, restart you know, all these terms that you see in the book. And so the first phase, that, that's a long-winded way of getting to the, the phase one. Phase one really is about rebooting and restarting. You know, just like I did over the weekend with my computer, um, sometimes you got to just take a time out. And in order to reset the gut, particularly the gut microbiome, you have to go through a process to really cut off the supply of the bad food, to put it quite frankly, and that's the foods I was just talking about a few minutes ago with the gluten and, the, and some dairy and, and, you know, these GMO-rich foods, um, you know, that, that really harm the flora. And that's kind of like a restart in that sense. I also talk about highly fermentable foods like honey 
that are really sugary and the bile does not tolerate well, and it makes the fat-forming microbes really happy, so you don't want to keep them going. Um, so I call that reboot. It's kind of like you've got to just kind of take the system and, you know, cut off the supply to these fat-forming bugs, and then you really start to repopulate and refertilize the good gut bacteria, and it's like gardening. You know, first you're going to take out the weeds, then you're going to start you know, raking and tilling the soil, then you're going to put the fertilizer down, then you put the seeds down. When you want to grow a lush garden, you don't just take these seeds and throw them over, off a vacant lot. You've got to really cultivate the soil. And that's what the program does. It kind of walks you through this, this uh, phenomenon to really restart the gut and, and regrow the gut microbiome. Would it be fair to say that for the first month, um, while it's not the diet that you're necessarily advocating long-term, that the first month diet is a low-carb, uh, high-quality protein and fat diet? I would say, you know, if you can look at the first month as more of a modified paleo, that's high-protein, because you're really, you know, you're really cutting back on carbs to an extent, not barely to the point of ketogenesis, but you're really taking out a lot of simple carbs and some of the foods that are very gas-forming because a lot of people who have overweight problems also have um, uh, 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 problems handling fermentable foods. So you want to cut back on those fermentable foods as well. We call them FODMAPs as, as a class of foods, these uh, fructo-oligo dietary uh, dietary saccharides and, and polyols. You want to just cut back on these, these food classes. Well, we, should, so we, should, uh, differ- we should differentiate between fermentable foods and fermented foods, right? So could you, right. could you clarify right. the difference? Because some of our listeners might be hearing we should cut back on fermented foods, but that's different than a fermentable food. Yeah, in phase one, you want to cut back on both food, foods that also are fermented and rich in good bacteria sauerkraut, pickles, miso soup, kombucha, these already have the bacteria in them to significant degrees, yogurt, kefir. Fermentable foods are these prebiotic foods, you know, like banana, artichoke, asparagus. These are foods that are very fibrous, that when the gut bacteria break down, that they will, they will really nurture the really good bacteria selectively over the bad bacteria. So you really want to feed your body those, let's say, prebiotic foods that really nurture um, the bacteria in your gut that's healthy. So in in your section on, so once people have gone through the month-long reboot and then they've done some refertilizing of the gut, you, the, the real question then becomes, what do we do long-term? And mm. assuming that we have people who are, who are seeing success in that those first couple months, and then they're trying to phase into sort of a, a long-term dietary approach. You have in your section, the renew section, you you talk about heritage diets as a good place to look for uh, cues on how to eat. First, tell us what a heritage diet is, and then which heritage diets you you look towards for examples of a balanced diet. You know, these are two very good points. Um, I would call a heritage diet a heritage diet a diet that's really cultivated to some local part of the world. And uh, the obvious one is the Mediterranean diet, uh, Baltic Sea, obviously, to that part of the world. And they're not that different. I mean, the idea there is to promote foods that are anti-inflammatory, right? That that promote 
good cardiovascular tone, rich in antioxidants, and feed the good bacteria. Now, for example, we hear a lot about the Mediterranean diet and cardiovascular outcomes and stroke prevention and, prevention and dementia prevention and so on and so forth. And, you know, the classic, you know, a glass of wine, the red grapes, the, the wild salmon, the fish, you know, uh, fruits and vegetables and grains. And it, it, this is, there's a pyramid uh, for the, uh, by old ways, which is, uh, you know, a promoter of the, of the Mediterranean diet. And I have that in the book. I have a pyramid for each phase. And so there it just kind of shows you which foods to really bolster on and which foods to limit. I mean, the red meats, you try to limit them because of the saturated fats and, you know, other factors which are not good for your cardiovascular outcome. In fact, you know, there's studies on it's actually the bacteria in your gut that interact with the red meat, which ultimately determines, you know, how that becomes a bad actor for cardiovascular outcomes, uh, for example. Um, but in any event, um, those diets, these anti-inflammatory diets, have also shown to really help with sustainable weight loss. So this program, which kind of it varies, I mean, there's not one size fit all. It's not like you're going to go on one diet brand and stay on that for life. You're going to begin, you know, with one phase, lose weight, reset your body, reset your microbiome. Second phase, you're going to reestablish your microbiome. But the third phase is really sustainable for life. And there's flexibility that you can socialize and family functions and so on and so forth. Approximately one out of every seven days, you take off from the program and enjoy your life. And that's, that's what you need to do to sustain also is to have compliance, is to really have something that's realistic. And Dr. Molinar, do you advocate any medications or supplements as part of the, the basic program, or is that more uh, patient-specific? that the medication wouldn't be my role to do that in the book, health book. Um, the supplements is a kind of very interesting question because I just provide a table in the book of what supplements have been studied uh, and, and the outcome, evidence-based outcome, but I generally don't. I haven't found really great data. Uh, maybe there's some data that's, quote, unquote, enticing or of interest, but nothing is really a slam dunk, and I'm very transparent about that in, in the book. Well, you, you mentioned earlier small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is a, a big new field, uh, SIBO, some people call it. Um, do you find success when you put people through the Gut Balance Revolution program with SIBO and other overgrowths that are similar without using the, the antibiotic that's typically given? You know, that's a very good question, is that I know the group in Australia who did a lot of the work on SIBO and the low FODMAP diet, these highly fermentable foods, which give people a lot of symptoms in the setting of SIBO. And, and let me just explain this, that what happens is that your upper gut is relatively sterile, right? Your, your stomach, the upper part of your small bowel. And then once you start colonizing with a lot of bacteria that are anaerobic, the minute you start taking carbohydrates, you're going to feel it because you're fermenting right away because your body has those anaerobes down by your colon, and by that point you're absorbing most of your foods and carbohydrates. But if you got SIBO, you know, upon contact, you're going to start fermenting right away and feel quite ill. So you try to restrict the foods that are highly fermentable and, you know, that make you symptomatic. So there what we try to do is, one, in SIBO you got to give some type of, antimicrobial to cut down on the burden of the bacteria um, in that situation. Um, but I find people do well on the diet. Once they go low FODMAP, they start to feel well. 
and over a period of time, they, 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 you know, they stay on the diet for weeks, if not months, and they don't need the antibiotic. And the antibiotic, quite honestly, is not a home run that's used for it. Studies say 50% effectiveness. We hear, at least in my experience, is 33% effectiveness. And I use herbs instead. In fact, I have a paper out uh, in the Global Advances Journal that when David Riley was the editor uh, last year that showed that the rifaximin was, um, I mean, the herbs were at least equal, if not superior, to the rifaximin. So there's, there's, there's other ways to, to take care of the gut than just dousing it with antibiotics. I, I view that as, as like the nuclear option. Well, it was great having you on, on Health Force today, Dr. Mullen. Do you have a website or a, a, anywhere else on the web that you would point people towards? I think if they go to the food, T-H-E, food, F-O-O-D, uh, M-D, like the foodmd.com, I have resources, blogs, I have, you know, 10 superfood uh, giveaway, like a little freemium, and just a lot of information there. And obviously it leads to Facebook where I post daily and have like 52,000 fans and stay current and blogs and so on and so forth. So I think that, that's a great resource uh, for the public. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. We were talking Bye-bye. today to gastroenterologist and professor of medicine, Dr. Gerard Mullen, about his latest book, The Gut Balance Revolution. You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host.